a Black Man Sketch podcast is brought to you in part by Shared Influence. Visit sharedinfluence.org to learn more. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of A Black Man Sketch. I'm your host and current Ujamaa Man of the Year, Bryant Brown. Uh, we're at Season 3, Episode 1. Up next, we have a very special guest and the newest addition to our Ujamaa staff, Brother Rashad Hamid, our new wellness coach. Rashad is a native of Harlem, New York, and a recovering addict in long-term sobriety. He has served the Twin Cities and surrounding areas for more than 30 years through his work as a licensed alcohol and drug counselor and manager in a culturally-based treatment organization and as a supervisor in adult and juvenile probation in Dakota and Ramsey counties, respectively. Rashad holds a BA and a master's degree in organizational management and communications from Concordia University. Through the lens of his work, Rashad brings a culturally specific perspective and a clarity of vision, empowering clients to reach needed milestones for their personal growth and development. Rashad is passionate about social justice and repairing the harm that institutional and systemic racism has created in community he serves. Please, Join me in welcoming our newest wellness coach to our Ujamaa staff, Brother Rashad Hamid. Welcome, Brother Rashad. How's it going today? Hey, it's doing great. Um, glad you know you extended an invitation um, to me for today's show. Absolutely. My name is Rashad Hamid, and um, I'm a licensed alcohol and drug counselor. You know, for the state of Minnesota, I've been licensed since uh, 1998. Um, prior to coming to Jama Place, I worked at an outpatient treatment program for about three years, um, providing counseling services and assessments and so on for people who were struggling with addiction, substance abuse problems. Prior to that, um, for uh, 20 years, I was a, uh, I supervised probation officers in Ramsey County for 10 years, and prior to that, for 10 years at Dakota County. So, and before then, I was also an addiction counselor for an organization called African American Family Services, which no longer exists. And as a recovering addict myself, I'm originally from New York, and I was a heroin addict for about 16 years, and Fortunately, got it together, so I feel like I got a unique perspective on the issue. And I, yeah, I do have a question for you. Um, our first question is, how important is it to bring awareness of the societal harms that drugs are doing in the black community, and especially with the misconception that opioid addiction affects more whites than blacks and Native Americans? Okay. Uh, I think it's extremely important that we continue to um, address the uh, addiction issues, you know, particularly in the back, black and brown communities. Um, unfortunately, um, when the issue was just relegated primarily to the black and brown communities, um, we didn't get a lot of, um, how can I say this, resources and attention and 
and um, everything that's involved in prevention and, and uh, research and treatment as it is today. Um, it wasn't until the, um, how can I say this, the, the white middle class um, individuals have been come, became impacted by particularly opiate fentanyl um, that we've had this huge hue and cry of treatment and services and dollars being poured into this effort. Right. But for a long time, particularly in the community that I grew up in, and other black and brown communities, mm-hmm. um, we've always had an issue with drug addiction. Um, and it's unfortunate that it took this long for it to be recognized, um, you know, by the government, funders, so on and so forth. In the community as well. I mean, I feel like as a people, you know, we got to find a way to lift that that stigma Um make these conversations okay to have amongst our people and amongst ourselves. You know, Mm -hmm. there's not a lot of really really caring in the community. I mean, I feel like I see that with, with, you know, other cultures, you know, when, when somebody has to go to treatment or go through something, you know, they have the support of their family. They have a couple of people coming to visit them. Um, And, you know, I've been through treatment myself, you know, didn't necessarily have people coming to visit me, people to make sure that, they waited by the right. phone for the couple calls I had, and then, right. and that that right. that's because of you know that stigma that we have as a as a people. Over, well, that's uh, true. I mean, that's that's you know that's a great point, but also part of the challenge is particularly for people like us in our community to um, get access to treatment. And Minnesota is uh, one of the rare places where. Um, access to treatment is not as uh, difficult as it is in other states, is that when you look at the current array of treatment programs in Minnesota and you look at that, and you look at their staffing complement and you see who's the leadership in those treatment programs, you don't see people that look like us. You right. know? Right. So, um, you know, I want to come to a treatment facility where I feel welcome where I feel like they understand my culture, where I see people like me that I feel like I can relate to. And that is so critically important. But it doesn't really exist in the Twin Cities um, to a degree like it did maybe some time ago. Yeah, you have Turning Point, and you may have one or two other small mom-and-pop organizations. But you look at the New Ways, you look at the Betty Ford, you look at other um, large um, treatment facilities, you look at their staffing complement, you look at their leadership, we're missing. What do you think are some of the things we could do to combat that and and turn that around as far as the numbers of our people that you see in leadership roles? Yeah, I think that um, certainly um, recruitment for the field, for licensed alcohol and drug counselors Mm -hmm. as, as start, you know, we have national organizations that um, one would hope that they would make be making a concerted effort into recruiting individuals in the field. Also, um, you know, you may have to look at how it's licensed. You know, when licensure came about in Minnesota, you know, it, it created a barrier for some individuals who, who was already in the field to become licensed for any number of reasons. The right. education level, um, experience, so on and so forth. And I'm not saying that we can't compete educationally, 
with the dominant culture, with the white culture. I'm just saying that access to these trainings, to um, to the field itself, um, needs to be reexamined. And again, you know, we need to challenge the large organizations that are providing treatment services to our communities to um, challenge them to hire people that look like us. You know, and, um, you know, really um, to really address that issue, not only in a community level, but also in a political area, too. So, um, you know, it's sad when I work in in a treatment program and I was the only one. I was the only, you know, African-American, you know, male in this facility. And And it was a local facility. You know, when I worked at other programs. More often than not, I was the only one. The only time that um, I worked in an organization that had people that looked like me, not only as staff, but in leadership, was when I worked at an organization, African American Family Services. And it's, it's a tragedy that we lose these type of institutions, you know, in our community, that we have to figure out a way, how can we make these institutions more sustainable in our community how can because we, they service. How can we help them grow, you know? And um, I think overall increasing uh, numbers, like you said, in leadership roles would automatically uh, increase the societal harm reduction because you automatically would have more places in the community that, um, like you said, pe- people can relate to. You know, yeah. Um, people. But let's talk about harm reduction. When you hear the word harm reduction, what does it mean to you? What it means to me is um, finding a safe way. Um, mm-hmm. People can do things until they can get a better handle on them. It doesn't necessarily, for me, harm reduction doesn't mean the problem completely goes away. Um, it right. does. It doesn't mean sobriety. It means right. putting all the safeguards in place so that things can be done in a safe manner to avoid, you know, all areas of uh, possible threat or fatality. Sure. You know what I mean? So it's like... Yeah, Yeah. that's a great answer. Harm reduction is a um, way of making sure that if you are going to use drugs, if you're going to use heroin or whatever your drug of choice is, that hopefully that you can do it in a way where you're not using dirty needles. Mm-hmm. You're, um, you're doing it in a way that's somewhat safe for you. Um, it's not necessarily co-signing an, an individual's addiction saying, yeah, just go ahead on and do what you want to do. But we want them to do it in a safe way and hopefully get to a point where they realize that, you know, I need treatment or I need some more help. But we don't want people ODing. We don't want people getting caught up in the whole fentanyl trap where they don't know what type of drug they're getting. They don't know what it's cut with. People are dying needlessly. And um, but this is a hard sell, particularly in our community, which is a very spiritual community. Um, You know, a lot of people frown upon harm reduction. They feel like you telling a well, person is okay to you. Well, you no, know? 
Because now that I think th- further into that while you're speaking, it is also making sure that there are um, o- overdose prevention kits available to people, you know, so right. that people aren't dying in the street, you know. It's making sure right. people right. do things in the safest way so that they can be less of a threat to themselves and other people. Absolutely. We want to get them to a place when... Hopefully, when they're ready to go to treatment, they're still alive, and they're ready to take that next step. The hard and thing about it is uh, some people don't understand until they go through it, till it hits them, you know? Right, right. It's just right. like taking your, you know, taking your friend's keys because he's too drunk is harm reduction, you know? Absolutely. They tell us to do that. All they tell us to do that in commercials on the television but right. they're just not seeing it in their head that way, you know? Right. You, right. You, you didn't stop your buddy from taking those drinks. You just took his keys, you know? When you should have you 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 not had drinks with him in the first place. The harm reduction party, you made sure he didn't get in his car, you know, that he had somewhere to lay his head that night, some food to eat, and that he got up safely the next day. Right. Or if I'm going to hang out with my friends and they're going drinking... One of us is going to be designated to be sober, you know, so that um, I can drive my partner's home and I'm sober and I don't have to be subjected to a DWI or killing somebody, you know. <laughs> but people like, that argue against harm reduction should just say you, you shouldn't go out with your friends at all. <laughs> well, I mean, if I'm going to go out with my friends, I'm going to be sober because if they're going to drink, I don't want them driving and drinking. So I'm going to take that on. I'm not going to drink. I'm going to have a Coke. We're going to sit down and, you know, chop it up, yeah. have a good time. And then when it's time to go home, I'm the designated driver because I'm sober. And I'm going to get everybody home safe. Yeah, and I feel like, you know, it's just about adjusting that lens that people look at it through. Because, it, it, you know, it's really hard to argue with once you, you know, put it to people in a way where it makes complete and total sense. Um <laughs> What would you say to a, you know, a current or newcoming Ujamaa man who's listening and struggling with addiction? Well, you know, I would say, first of all, you know, you're at the right place. Let's talk about what you want to do. You know, I'm not going to preach at that individual and tell them, hey, you know, you shouldn't do this. I want them to um, be at a place where they feel that, um, first of all, that they're going to be heard, that they're in a safe place a nurturing place where I can talk to a Rashad or any other coach and say, hey, listen, this is what I'm doing, you know, um, and present options to them. You know, let's do a screening. Let me get you to an assessment. If you if you want to have a, an assessment, if you want to go into a program, I mean, I'll help navigate all of that. But at the end of the day, you know, and if you've been through treatment, I've been through treatment, it's a matter of how much you want it, you know? How much do you want Absolutely. it? And I tend to look at it at like, you know, this is life and death. You know, um, when I worked at a treatment program a couple of years ago, you know, I lost eight people in three years from OZN. So I take this very serious. And um, so it's nothing to be played with. So I try to address it like that. If they're going to talk, if they're going to open up, if they're going to be honest, come on, let's take the next step. And I'll guide them through the whole process all the way. Yeah. 
that's that's exactly what we want to hear, you know. And um, you can also um, I want to throw out there, get them in touch. You know, we have alumni now, people that have been through it as well, um, other peers that that they can reach out and support them in any way, shape, or form they need it as well. Um, yeah, you got peer recovery specialist. Absolutely. And um, what we were talking about earlier, I wanted to say, when you were saying we needed more people in these leadership roles, uh, I recently became a CPRS, a Certified Peer Recovery Specialist myself, and I feel uh-huh. like that is an avenue which a lot of young brothers can get into the field and begin to help a lot of people out here. And, um, Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's like the first step. And then you might want to say, you know, down the road, well, maybe I want to, you know, be a licensed alcohol or drug counselor. You know, let me, let me, let me take it to the next step. But you're providing a valuable service because, you know, your peers, they'll hear you before sometimes they hear me. You know, they'll see me or what Rashad knows, you know. I mean, back in the day stuff, I'm not hearing that. But they can hear the message from you in a way that they may not hear it from me. So you're providing a really important service to our community. Oh, yeah. And it's definitely, it's important that people with that experience, you know, you want to learn how to fly from a pilot, you know. You want to learn how to cook from a chef. You want to learn people that have been, been, been there, done that. You know what I mean? Now, my next question for you, brother. Oh, yeah. Next question, brother. We talked about... um societal harm reduction right. and um how do you feel you can impact societal harm reduction through your upcoming work at Ujamaa Place by providing information you know I, I look at my role as you know providing information providing options you know um and um providing the tools so that you know hey um if I want to go to treatment, I know where to go. Um, if I want to practice harm reduction, these are the things that I need to be aware of. Uh, I need to know what Narcan is. I need to be able to have access to fentanyl strips. Um, <clears throat> you know, if you're going to use, I want it to be an informed decision. <laughs> you know, I want you to be going into it eyes wide open. And you really don't want to go there, but if you do, I want you to know what you're doing. And, I want um, you to form decision because this is your life. And uh, just remember, you know, um, as well, we, we're also touching in, in other ways, even beyond just the addiction piece, you know, the access to transportation. Um, mm-hmm. Ujamaa, we're working with broken families, poor mm-hmm. financial literacy, um, right. helping people access education criminal right. justice system connection. Right. So you actually have very many different avenues to where you can, you know, introduce harm reduction to society as a whole in many different ways. Right. Right. Well, you know, part of harm reduction, like you said, is in order for a person to um, manage their addiction or, you know, get right, you know, they kind of, you know, they need a roof over their head. You know, they need to get out the street. Mm-hmm. You know, they need to be able to take care of themselves health-wise, physically, yeah. mentally. It's a whole holistic approach. And, you know, addiction is just, you know, somebody that's using. It's just been my experience. That's just like the tip of the iceberg. 
you know, they've been wrestling with issues of life that they haven't been able to deal with successfully. And most people use because, you know, like, I just want to numb out. I just don't want to be dealing with this. So I don't know how to deal with it in a more constructive way. You know, the trauma that most of us have experienced growing up in this society as people of color, you know, um, contributes to that, to that too. You know, just, just being, you know, a black man in America, a black person, women too, you know, um, the micro transgressions that we experience each and every day. You know, you hear about this brother in, in Memphis, Tennessee, who, you know, got beat up by the police. God, you know, I mean, it's just every day, you know, we are experiencing some form of trauma and we need to be able to manage that without killing ourselves by using drugs, you know, and that's, that's the game plan. How do I manage life in a way that I don't create harm to myself or to others? How do I do that? Absolutely. And hopefully Ujama places uh, can be a vehicle in helping young men, you know, get to that place. I, I just feel that this is an important vehicle, this, this podcast. You know, when I worked at African American Family Services, we didn't have podcasts back then, but we had a radio show. On uh, KMOJ, mm-hmm. all the urban, and we used to have people come on and talk about you know health and wellness issues. So this is, I think, this is great that Ijama Place has this podcast where we can talk about issues that are important to us as a community, as people, and hopefully you know be solution focused, so that we can um, really be aware of the options we have in living a life that is fulfilling. Um, that is compassionate and that puts us in a place where we can do what I call each one teach one. Now, I'm standing on the shoulders of others before me. I, I didn't get here by myself. All of us, you know, we need each other to continue to grow, to thrive, you know, all of that. We need to have a solid community of individuals in order to make it because we can't do it by ourselves. And Ujama Place is a vehicle, one of the vehicles for that. So I appreciate being on the show. And anytime, you know, you want to talk about anything that I feel like I may be able to contribute, be it, you know, substance abuse, the correctional system, probation, and any of that, um, I'm more than willing to um, lend a voice to those issues. Brother Hamid, we'd like to thank you so much for joining us today on our podcast and we'd like to welcome you um with open arms to the ujama family um thank you for stopping by and thank you for joining us thank you take care now all right if you're a young african-american male near the twin cities between the ages of 18 and 30 and you need help with any resources housing financial literacy um employment job readiness education housing um or even just a place to feel comfortable feel safe up the phone and dial 651-528-8006 or you can reach out to our website ujamaplace.org and we're also on facebook we'll give you the address once we get you on the phone um we are here for you we love you we are ujama program a black man sketch podcast is brought to you in part by shared influence 
Visit sharedinfluence.org to learn more.